Hello and welcome back to Sharp Cuts. My name is Garrett May alongside Josh Nickel. As always, welcome back to the show. Today is a very special edition of Sharp Cuts for two reasons. One, because we don't have a guest today, but that's okay because it's episode 50 of Sharp Cuts, Josh. 50 episodes we've been doing this. That's almost a year's worth. We've been doing this over a year, obviously. It's almost a year's worth of episodes. Like, 50, how did we make it this far? Yeah, when you count lost episodes and like you moved and then uh, my wife had a baby, like the stuff, the real excuses we had, this is like a year. We've been doing this for more than a year. Well, happy one year anniversary, Josh, for Sharp Cuts. <laughs> and thank you all so much for listening. We've got to try to stress that we've got to keep our subscriber count on YouTube above the number of episodes that we've recorded of Sharp Cuts. So we are still good, but in a few weeks, we might be in trouble. So hit that subscribe button. We need the help. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show. So today we got a lot to talk about. That's why it's just us. Episode 50. We're going to do some reminiscing, but there's a lot to unpack here. And we didn't want any extra noise from any other folk jumping in on the show here. So we're going to unpack some beach results from our first beach events of the season of the Beach Pro Tour. Um, we've got some topics related to some of the world's trials for some of the uh, beach teams that we had just recently in Canada as well as the U Sports National Championships going on for both men and women, which definitely brought some stuff up for me. I've watched more volleyball this week than I have watched all year, Josh. So I am ammoed up and ready to go. So let's jump into the results of some of our beach teams uh, on the international stage. And Josh, you're gonna have to refresh me and the and the listeners because it's hard to really digest what the heck's going on. So we've had two tournaments now. One is like a mid-level event and the other is like the top tier. Yes, exactly. So the, the Elite 16, so Gary, there's been a couple of rule changes since we last talked because uh, Alex and Jake were talking about like, why can an Elite 16 team play in a challenger? Well, the FIB stepped in and said, if you hold the top six ranking in the world, you're no longer allowed to play in challengers. So they did try to massage that rule a little bit and box them out. Uh, so the challenger is the mid-tier event, but as you can see by the results in Mexico, that is the wild, wild west. There are so many good teams there and they're all fighting to get, be able to get into that Elite 16, right? So I, I thought it was super competitive. I mean, we, we talked about how you could get a free trial to watch these games that uh, most of us will soon uh, let it expire after this week. But uh, I, I thought it was really good matches. I thought the, the stream was pretty good, but a uh, few surprises with the results. I think it's uh, it's going to be a weird year because everybody, not everybody, excuse me, there's a lot of new partnerships. It's a short quad. Like, there's, there's a lot going on. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm glad that the stream was good because if they're charging you any sort of money, it better be some high quality. Imagine your chart, you're paying per month and you get on there at some grimy stream from the parking lot with some grainy potato camera like we've got on your internet connection right now. Well, that's what the uh, coach camera was at the back. So when you go back and watch or you want to like review or debrief with your teams, it looks like it was filmed on a potato, especially the night games, Garrett. The night games are pointed into the light, so I can't even review the night games really. That's an absolute joke. So the quality of the stream that people pay for is better than what they give the coaches? The coaches was just the camera on the back on like whatever tripod there was. And like I said, like it is pointed into the lights at the night game. So it's hard to make oh. sense of what's what. Oh, God, that's brutal. Okay. So let's unpack some of our Canadian results. So for those of you out there who are either too lazy or couldn't manage to figure out how to navigate the Beach Pro Tours website, which you are forgiven if you're in either of those situations because I found myself in both of those situations. But we had, well, five teams in action across both genders. Um, one team made it to both tournaments, but we'll get to them in a second. So I guess on the men's side, we had kind of our, our top team, at least in terms of points. Um, Grant O'Gorman and Ben Saxton 
making it straight into the main draw and the Tlaxcala challenges in Mexico. They don't make it out of pool play, though. They go 0-2 and uh, don't quite make it out. So kind of a disappointing result there for those guys. I I think so. I I think they would have liked to do better. I think uh, training indoors, I don't know how early they were able to go outside. Like Mexico, it was apparently a little different like with the night games things where it was very hot during the day and very cold at night. So it kind of created a unique uh, event a little bit. And, and, you know, I I received a lot of text, Garrett, a lot of pessimists saying, did we just lose to the Dutch like four or five, six team? And yeah, like they lost to a team who wasn't Bormans de Groot or Brouwer Houston or Varenhuis Vandeveld. Like the the Dutchies have a lot of good teams here, but I I think this is just evidence of their program that, yeah, technically we lost to like the fourth or fifth Dutch team. But if you watch them progress through the rest of the tournament, those guys are legit. It just means the Netherlands are, are pumping out a ton of good players right now. Yeah, but like, I mean, we want to be that. Like, we w- that's the goal is like, we want to have the four or five teams. So if our top ranked team in terms of points, I mean, argument on if they're our top team in terms of skill, but top teams in terms of points, losing to the fourth, fifth Netherlands team, like, what the heck are we doing? That's definitely not the result you want to have to start this kind of new Olympic try. Um, so, I mean, a disappointing result there. And who's texting you, by the way? Like, who's texting you and saying, hey, what the heck's going on with our program guys? here? How did we lose to these guys? I don't know these guys. Well, yeah. I think it, it comes back to the website, Garrett, that if you're just looking purely at the results, you're kind of like, who who's Immers and Van Werkenhoven? I, I, don't even, I don't even know the team's name. Who are they? But, exactly. No, I think it's a like, fair criticism. But if you click on it, you see the results, you see them with their old partner, you see that the Netherlands, they're, they're a well-funded, well-organized program. So, like, yeah, there's just some people every once in a while who just look at the country they're playing and go, oh, how do we lose to these guys? But uh, that's as good as a federation as there is right now, in my opinion. Yeah, okay. So, hey, well, Josh, if, if this is going to be me telling about Canada's losses and you making excuses, well, let the viewer know. Comment down below what you think about this and Canada's results. Where do you well, sit on the fence? Well, the Brazilian team they played, Gary, you might recognize. Did you not play Youth Worlds against Vitor? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know that guy well. I played him one time, beat him. I'm, I'm 1 0 against that guy. So, Ben and Grant, guy. get it together. I mean, they, they did take a fourth, but they were the big team that Ben and Grant played in pool. So, uh, yeah, they good news is they started in the main draw. The bad news is they did not get in a pool. Well, listen, for our, viewer, for our viewers and listeners as well, because, like, this is something that I've got to remember myself. It's like, there's always going to be at least two really good teams in the pool. Like, if you're not a top seed, you're going to have to play a top seed, right, in your pool. Like, it's going to happen. And if you lose that one in a, in a battle, like you're battling against the top team, I don't think there's any shame in that. Like, you've got to play a good team early. It's how you've, you've got to manage. You go for that. It's that second match after you lose, though, to stay in the tournament that is, like, the do-or-die match. That you, you play a team who's probably as good as you, that that's the battle to stay alive. And, and we didn't do well in that match. At least Ben and Grant didn't in that match to make it through. So, speaking of that as well, our other team, Dan Deering and Sam Schachter, um, their first event together as a team... Um, they end up qualifying, which is amazing. I mean, congrats to them for qualifying. I mean, Canada's a renowned non-qualifying country. So the fact they go in there and get a qualification in their first tournament, I, I really expected them to, though. I mean, they really should have qualified. So if they didn't, I think we'd be a little bit more upset. But they end up in the same situation. Play a tough team. In the, in the fir- you know, your first game, your low seed, you play a tough team. It's that second match that we end up losing as well. They lost out in pool after, uh, after qualifying. I mean, I assume they're also got to be disappointed with that result. Yeah, like if you again, if you're if you're following the players and you know the names and stuff, I'd say they had an easier qualifier route compared to some teams. Like I, I thought their qualifier, like they they took care of business, but I mean fifteen eighteen, and then I think their second round was 
13 and 14, 13 and 13. So I mean, they had a pretty easy round, but then they get to pool and man, they, they face two really good teams where uh, Brill Loziak are really, really good. I think Loziak is one of the best players, if not the best player in the world right now. Uh, they played the young Sweden guys who are playing at a very high clip right now and they didn't end up playing them, but their other team in the pool was Lupo Rangeri, who the, the Italians there, those are Olympians. Yeah, for for so, sure. I mean, but for Dan and Sam though, like that Swedish team, that's a team that, yeah, you're saying playing well right now, but like that's a team you want to be beating. Like that's the team you come to the tournament to beat. Like this is who we got to win to get into the next round, get some points, actually make some freaking money at this tournament, right? So, like, I mean, t- for both of our men's teams in action this past week to lose those two games, that's, that hurts a little bit me because it's like, no, we got to be scrapping out, trying to get some wins in those tough matches. Yes, like I would say Sweden, very good. Like they're, they're youth world champions. They've won a ton of medals on, on world tour. Now they're starting to do it on the men's tour. But you would kind of label them as a, as a gatekeeper team where if you can't beat them, well, then you can't be taking ninths and fifths because those are the teams you have to beat consistently to be, you know, playing for a medal down the road. And I think they ended up taking a fifth of this event. But you're, you're right. That's kind of like a good team. But like that's kind of the level you have to be at to be playing for money right now on the world tour. So for the men on the men's side, before we close out the men's results, what's the risk? Like if you if you keep qualifying and you make the main draw and you don't make it out of pool, like are you at risk to even struggle to get into the challengers? Yeah, let me pull up. They, they did again. They adjusted the points again this week. So I can I can pull it up and take a look. But what I think the challenge is, Garrett, is they've now changed it to. Uh, three out of four events go into your rankings and it used to be four out of six and somebody might say well that doesn't make a huge difference well it does it means you don't have many events to drop it means you have constantly have to be playing well so if you were to lose in the qualifier of a challenger you get 110 points but that means that there are anyone who takes a top fifth that a future passes you so there is like a natural slide there that the future team should be earning points like to win a future is 200 points and for our listeners at home the equivalent of that would be to be getting out of pool in a challenger and then at the elite 16 you get 600 to win it but if you lose in the qualifier you get 200s, which is interesting. They're saying losing in the qualifier of an Elite 16, which is maybe accurate compared to who you're playing against, is in a future. So uh, if you struggle, Garrett, it looks like you're going to go down. If you stay in the middle, you'll stay at your bracket, and you have to win to go up. Like It looks like it's it's really hard. Like a 400 in a challenger isn't isn't a fifth at an Elite 16. Yeah. Or excuse me, yeah, like, excuse so- me. No, an Elite 16 is a 380 for a fifth. You need to you can only win a challenger to pass a fifth-place team at an Elite 16. Okay, you threw a lot of numbers out yeah, there at me and at the yeah. audience. Um, and I know maybe there's some numbers folk out there who kept up with you. For us laymen, let me just try to... Okay, so it sounds like to maintain, you got to make it out of pool to maintain. If you're losing in pool, you're likely going to be in qualifier or push down that list on the qualifier. And if you win a first-round matchup, make it to the corner finals, not only are you staying, but you're potentially advancing up on the teams who are losing out in qualifiers ahead of you, depending on how log-jammed it gets. So both our men's teams are regressing, or at least not really making a ton of progress and maybe getting passed by some of the teams fighting it out in some of the futures. It's possible. The other thing the, this three out of four event gives you, Garrett, is it tells you where your schedule is going to be because now it's a 28 day registration deadline. So, you know, like that list really can't change month to month. You kind of know where you're going. It's now you just have to go show up and, and compete. So if somebody takes a down event at this Elite 16, uh, the next Elite 16 is not until June in Ostrava. So that means like they're they're going to be playing challengers trying to get their points back up. I don't think they can just 
sit there and, and wait unless you're a top 16. Excuse me, top yeah. 16, not top 16. Yeah, what a weird world it is out there. And disappointing result for the Canadian men. On the women as well in the Tlaxcala Challenger Tournament uh, in Mexico as well, another disappointing <laughs> series of results over there as well. A little bit better, I'd say, though, with Brandy uh, Wilkerson and Sophie Bukovic, kind of the new partnership, I guess, their first tournament together as well. Some new partnerships on the Canadian side, losing out in the qualifier, which, I mean, for them, Brandy's a team who was, Brandy was a player who was at the Olympics. Sophie is a junior world champion. Like, you got to expect that they would somehow be able to figure out how to qualify in a challenger um you know on a women's side where canada has had a number of dominant performances like so i'm sure they're disappointed in that i mean a new partnership to go out it would have been so nice to get that qualification i just it's so hard to explain to people who don't have to do this in their sport like if you play a team sport you kind of show up you know what time the bus gets there you know what time you play like to play in an event where you have to win to get into the tournament it's, it's hard to describe that pressure for other people and yeah. uh, i haven't spoke to brandy or sophie but i know like Labrador is obviously a good german player she's playing with her new partner but that's probably one they want back right like just the magnifying that that's like oh we win we're in like we're, we're a new partnership like this is a chance for us to play more games like I, i'm sure some of that kind of creeped into their thoughts but yeah that, that, that's a tough one for a team that everyone's really excited to see play not qualify for the first one yeah so uh, you know tough result there and you know kind of the the other team that was in that event uh, megan and nicole mcnamara um a team who I, I don't think they've spent a lot of time training with kind of the national group and at the center they're from uh bc and they kind of do their own thing but it seems like they're kind of putting it together the twins uh, managing to get out of pool um which is the only <laughs> the canadian team at that tournament to do so lost in a battle in the first round against the spanish team but i mean good to see them get a win in the main draw i respect the hell out of those two for just battling sticking together playing with your twin sister like that can't be easy like <laughs> you do everything together for Can your whole life and now you're trying to battle it out or can they just get to the truth so much faster than anybody else or maybe they can like cut deep and it doesn't really offend the other one because they know how to communicate and like things can maybe get a little bit heated i, I don't know but you, as you mentioned uh they chose to go the independent route they're training back home they they kind of i think they have a few training partners in vancouver i think they did a trip to either california or florida like they did an outdoor camp like yeah easy team to root for they work super hard and uh, again the pessimists in our country garrett might say like oh magna nicole they can't play together they both need to play with a blocker but who do you put them with garrett that they can, can sustain their level because they're so good together that is there two other players in Canada that they could match up with and then keep these results or be better like that's the tough conversation I think yeah I, I agree and I, that has always been the story with those two but they've been quietly just getting better and better I feel like like over the years their results have gotten better they were in the main draw in this tournament where Brandy and Sophie weren't at all right like that was the only Canadian team we had straight into the main draw uh, or no they, they qualified uh, for this one, I felt like they were in. I think they had to qualify for the next one, didn't they? Let me, let we, me check. We the... should know that here on this channel. I think I read that they sure, qualified, sure, maybe. Know. But either way, the, their team they was... They were on the list, Garrett, and then I don't know if they got bumped in because there was a weird COVID scare. No, nope, they had to qualify. They beat Poland in the second yeah. round, and yeah. they beat uh, a USA team in the first round. Yeah, so, I mean, that, that I think, is probably the most optimism we can see out of the results from a Canadian team is they go through, qualify, and then win a match. Again, that match, you lose the first one, and then you're playing to make it out, and you do. And, I mean, that's got to feel good. Then you're battling to try to get those points and money. So, I mean, good for them, Megan and Cole. Congrats on the, I guess that's a ninth they finished with. Um, no. 
Because they lost in the, they were a third place team coming out of pool, so they actually lost in the round of 18, which is okay. is a mess, Garrett. Because the format is 24 teams instead of 32, so it's a little harder to move. Like the top two third place teams will get into the pre quarters, and then the uh, remaining four have to fight each other to then get two more out. So they they come 17th. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a what a weird system. Round of eighteen. That's something you've never ever heard ever running any tournaments. Like round of sixteen is oh, it just rolls off the tongue. Now we're talking about round of eighteen. Okay, yeah. that's maybe for another another time. But so that's the results for that Mexican event. We also had the Elite Sixteen happen kind of a week or two afterwards, um, which is still going on. I think they're playing those uh, matches. They might be finished by the time you're listening to this, but that's still going on. But we already know the results. The McNamara's hopped over into that, but lost in the qualifier. Good for them for getting in the qualifier, but ended up losing out. I'm sure that's a stacked qualifier. So I mean, nothing to be disappointed with there. It's probably a tight tournament. And Sarah. Pavin and Melissa Umana Paredes making their season debut, getting a fifth, losing in the quarterfinal. So making it a pool, winning a couple of games, and then end up losing in the quarterfinal. I think in that in that tournament, nothing to really be that upset about for me. I guess do you agree? Yeah, and I, and I think like Melissa had posted, if anyone follows her on social media, just like the level of intensity because a normal FIB, yes, every game is good, but you put the top 16 and you put a, a four-team qualifier on the end. Like everyone there is a professional. Like you got Olympians in the qualifier. Like it's just pretty crazy. So you know that every match is going to be tough. So uh, I mean, uh, Stam and Shun who medaled at the previous Challenger event, like they were in the qualifier of this event. So it just shows the, the level of depth and, and the talent here. I will say it's interesting... Sarah and Mel lost to uh, Flint and Clays, the the American team. And with Sponsel and Clays splitting up, everyone was kind of curious. Like, okay, they both took a lesser partner. Like, how are they going to do? And then Kelly and her new partner finished fourth at this event. So I think that's just a an interesting thing that the USA is so deep that even though maybe somebody thought Flint was way below Sarah Sponsel's level, they're they're still winning. I mean that that is the thing you see with some of the top countries in our sport is that when you see two uh, two good players split up and go play with different players like from Brazil or Germany's in some cases, the USA always, um, they're often good with their new partner because the people waiting to come up and ready to go are ready to go and compete. And so often that kind of change up can just have both teams do quite well. You see it happen regularly with the Brazilian teams. They switch up and you're like, what the heck are they doing? And then with their new partner, they go up and get a win or get a medal at the next tournament. Like it happens all the time. So not not too surprised uh, to see that, honestly. And I mean, take in the fifth tournament and then the first tournament of the year, getting a fifth, you're the top team. Like, I feel like that's a, an OK way to start. I mean, we'd love to see you getting medals. I'm sure they're disappointed because they expect to be winning medals. But you, you get in a battle in the quarterfinal and you lose that. Like if you're getting fifths every time, you're doing OK. Like you're giving yourself a chance to medal at literally every tournament. Well, the other teams finishing fifth are like Duda, who I think is one of the best players in the world with her new partner, Anna Patricia. Uh, April Ross took a fifth with her new partner, Emily Day. I don't know if that's a true partnership or if we'll see Alex climbing back at some point she had surgery. So like that just shows you that like there's, there was no easy games at this tournament. I think that's what's exciting about the Elite 16. Yeah. And okay. Sam so and let's Shooter look at Canada. The they came through the qualifier, Garrett, and they're in the final. As we're recording this, I'm just clicking on like the results. I mean, that's how this guys. sport works, though. I mean, there's only 16 teams in the tournament. So, I mean, you make it in from the qualifier. Like, you're in the top 16 teams potentially in the world at that point. Like, I mean, there's there's no easy games there. So, I mean, do, very doable. And especially in those pool matches, you come out of the qualifier, you're ready to go. 
Anyway, so that's that's the Canadian results from the first few tournaments of the year, of the new try, some new partnerships being shown out. Um, I'll give you my general impression, Josh, and you're you're the national team head coach. So, I mean, I don't know if this puts a lights a fire under your butt or what, but I mean, we got to do better than this, in my opinion. Like, and this is always the thing with Canadians is going to be a challenge for us is those first few tournaments of the year. We have not been able to train outside unless you go to another country to train. So like some of these teams first tournaments or maybe their first action outside, maybe not. Maybe they've been training indoors all the time. I know some of them do travel, but like we got to find a way to put ourselves in position to like do well and get results at these early tournaments in the year so that we can be in the big events delivering with in force like, you know, three, four, five, six, seven teams, maybe eight teams, both genders in these events. Like if we want to be that, we got to compete early in, in these tournaments. You know, Gary, I'll use the listeners as a crowd and say, well, why don't you explain to us and then the listeners what the difference is between going inside outside? But uh, I'll, I'll give you my thoughts first because I would actually like to hear your opinions. This could happen off air. But uh, I find in Downsview, because we're indoors, we can serve a little bit tougher. Like I think our, our serve and pass gets pretty tough. But I find the biggest difference going outside with our guys is the setting. Like I think the wind uh, dictates it a little bit. Uh, it, it's just the, the different conditions that you can set in Downsview and you could be six meters off the net and feel comfortable to push that ball when you're outside. Sun, wind, elements, all that stuff, like it starts to become a bit of a factor. And that's that's a, such a huge part of the beach game is just being able to put your partner in a good position with lots of options that I think that's the one that takes the most catching up to do. Yeah, well, for, I kind of agree with you, but I, I think for me, I go to a different place with it. Like for me, defenders really make or break your your team if you got a good defender who's able to compete and make digs i mean you can have a terrible blocker but if the defender's still able to make digs with that weak blocker you're going to be in games you're going to be competitive as long as as well as your ability to side out but um the blockers are very little affected by going indoors outdoors right they just tracking the ball they go they put up the block like what's that going to change but as a defender indoors outdoors like this is the thing playing indoors we got in such a bad habit of doing is like you end up guessing a lot. You end up like giving up on roll shots or hard hits because everything's so in so much more control. There's no wind affecting things and moving things around to make it tougher on your ball control. So like the defenders can get in this bad habit of like not chasing, not hustling for roll shots, not having all these scrambly transitiony plays where when you get outside, like that's what you need to do to win. Like that you have to do that regularly like five, six, 10, 12, 15 times per match to get wins. So that's definitely what I would see. And I think of some of the volleyball I've seen this past couple of weeks, that is the biggest thing that we need to catch up on. Our defenders, I find, are not ready to go, are not keeping us in games. We got blockers for days. We can block. Like, we got some big blockers. Brandy, Dan, Sarah, Ben. Like, we can make blocks, but we've got to be ready to make digs. See it's interesting. It's interesting you say that because on the men's side, at least, and on the women's side, they're definitely trending where Sarah used to be one of the original bigs on tour. Now there's a lot of larger athletes where on the guy's side, Brower and Mewson are getting ready to play in a final against Sharif and Ahmad. I don't care what anyone says. Sharif is the best player on that team. Ahmad, I can send you a clip, Garrett. He's not a good defender. He's not. Like the blocker keeps them in and they both side out at a super high clip. Brower and Mewson don't get digs. They serve aces and they side out like crazy. Mole Sorum, uh, Brill Loziak. Like you can see Loziak's styles already changed playing behind Brill instead of playing against Cantor. Like I, I think 
yes, defenders are super important. All the guys I've listed are all world-class defenders, but when you put them with a world-class blocker, that's when I think they get really good. Like, the same names keep coming up that Allison had a good tournament. Uh, I mentioned the guitar guys. Who else is it? Parisic, uh, Schweiner are a very good side-out team, but also very big. Like, it seems to me the same names are coming up, and it's because they have difference makers at the net. Like, the blockers are just able to take away different angles, and they're really, really good transition setters. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I don't agree. I, I don't agree at all with you. I think the blockers definitely can make or break for sure. Like you got a game changer, they're gonna change the game regardless of where they're playing. Like let's not take that away. Sharif is an amazing player for Qatar. Like he's dominant, so he's gonna dominate. He's gonna rip serves. He's gonna do what he's got to do to make plays. But uh, you know, these are the top teams you're talking about here, Josh. So you're talking about everybody's capable of playing. Everybody's siding out at a high level. Everybody's able to hit the ball at a high peak. So what makes the difference, right? Like. Sorum, uh, he's the defender, is like leading leading the tournaments in digs. Like that guy's making a ton of digs. They've also won uh, matches before where he's got like four digs the whole match, and Mole has like eight blocks for points. Yeah, I mean, good for him. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I'm not trying to say that the defender is like, but for 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 those those tough matches, the competitive matches, the defender has to be in it. And if they're not, like if they're not a threat, they're not a part of it at all. I think you're you're going nowhere, at least in my opinion. So if you were in my position, would you be telling Sam to play with Grant then? Put the two best side-out players together, two pretty good defenders? Like, I, I just think the big... Well, are they the best side-out players? Possible. If they're the best side-out players, yes. Problem is they both side-out from the right side. I'm trying to think. Yeah, like, if I were in your position, I'd be putting the two best side-out players together no matter what. <laughs> Even if it was Jake and me? Well, hey, you were the best side-out player, Josh. I'd be on. I'd be on your bandwagon instantly if you could side out. Let's go. It's not me. It's okay. Not me, <laughs> okay. Moving on. Oh gosh, look at look at us getting into it, Josh. Sharp cuts. It just 50, sounds like, like you're a big Guevara Herrera fan. Where I'm like looking for a seven footer who can transition set. Okay. I as a fan, Josh, I want the big units out there. Let's get some dominance. Let's get some big blocks. Let's get some stuff out there. But when it comes to winning. Like the defender is just too crucial, in my opinion, to winning at a high level over a long period of time. So um, anyway, that's just my opinion. Maybe it's because I was a defender, so I'm a little bit biased. But that's what I see is missing from our, our Canadian game these past couple of weeks is we're able to have a presence at the net. We should maybe like we got big blockers, but uh, are we able to really transition and make digs? Maybe not. But uh, anyway, are we ever going to solve this? You're a blocker guy, Josh. Are you a blocker well, guy? Well, the other thing, Garrett, is is the way the game is trending. I think our blockers, they're, they're awesome. They're long. They're not big. Like, one of the first things Dan told me when he came back home, he's like, I'm small. Like, he's meeting the other blockers on tour, and Dan is 6'6 and jumps really well, but everybody is bigger than him. And guess what, Garrett? They also jump really well. Yeah, I find that hard to believe. Dan, like, that's honestly nonsense to me to hear that. Like, in beach, height is only meaningful if it helps you get higher. Like, you know, what, what does it matter if, if you're five foot 11, if you can touch every time without fatiguing as well, high as those there, other guys? There's the to, difference. To how me many times can you do it and how long does it take you to get there? But he's meeting uh, guys like Borums who weren't on tour when he was there. He's meeting for the first time in person, Brill. Like he, he's, he's seeing some true blockers here. And I think he got his eyes open a little bit that uh, playing in Canada is a little bit different than playing on, on tour. Yeah, no, I agree. But because you're going to look eye to eye with people in the air, like our four blockers, the two on the men's side and the two on the women's side, Dan and Ben and Brandy and Sarah, 
have got to be at the same height of block touch and everything as the top blockers in the world. We're not getting out heighted there. I would say with like, Ben, we're, we're not are. Being, I would, I would have, Ben's a medium right now on the world tour, to be honest. Ben is a medium. Well, but Ben's not getting like guys going over top of him. Like that, that's not the case. Ben's a big guy. Ben's up there. Like Ben's big enough. It's not so much the overtop that's an issue. It's the ability that you have to max jump and go for them. And the most popular shots on the World Tour right now, Garrett, are like the really sharp sideline shots. So the ability for Ben to have to max jump and reach on a guy now opens up. It's not a cutty. It's not a hit. It's a really small, like basically your indoor shot. Not quite like a snivel, but like halfway up the sideline, really sharp and fast. So if you have to max jump with a guy, you're not able to press and take that away. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I, I, I get it. No, I absolutely get it. And if you're bigger, it actually helps to do that. But I mean, really, we're talking passing and you know what? We're going down a <laughs> rabbit hole here, Josh. I can sense it. And we got a lot to cover here. So I'm glad. Let's save this for next week when we have a pretty special beach guest where we can really get into it on. And I know you're already grooming them to join your side with all this stuff. I, I don't like doing teasers on the show because they could cancel at no notice. But uh, next week absolutely. will be special. Let's just advertise that now. It'll be a good one. It'll be special no matter what. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Okay. So the other beach thing, this is a very beach-focused episode. So if you're in for the beach, welcome. Thanks for listening. Hit that subscribe button, five-star the podcast. Um, but the other thing that happened this week was after those some of those teams uh, finished up playing, they came home and had to compete in the, I guess, world's qualification trial on the men's side um, with some of our, you know, the men's team competing for a spot. Josh, you're going to have to explain to me and the listener what the hell we're talking about here. Like nobody knew about the trials. Nobody knows what's going on, but we, we, we have something here. It's almost like if he took the Hunger Games or Squid Games for the, the younger listeners and he took out the murder, Garrett. It's very similar to that. It was that competitive. So it was a Canadian team Hunger Games where you had to fight with the other Canadian teams for a I, chance to go to the next Norseka. I watched some of these games, Josh, <laughs> and that was not at all the vibe I got. <laughs> okay, well... For world championships this year, every continent gets four berths. So for our listeners at home, they're saying, well, what, what's, a, what's a continental zone? So we belong to somebody, something called Norseca. So it's us, the U.S., and Central America. So Cayman Islands, Cuba, Dominican, Puerto Rico, like a bunch of great countries. So for this event, uh, Norseca has deemed that you have to go to a Norseca to qualify. So the winner of Canada had to be nominated, excuse me, had to be nominated to win this event, to then go to Norseca. And if you finish top two in a pool of six, sorry, I don't know if you hear my son in the background, uh, you had to be top two in a pool of six to then get a chance to go to world championships so world championships carried for for easy math here it's 48 teams total but only 23 are based on the world ranking so if you're a top 23 team in the world like melissa and sarah you don't have to play in our trials because you're already going to worlds but the rest of the spots are filled up by the host a couple wild cards and then all of these continental teams get a chance to go so we basically had to fight to see who would get the right to represent canada at our continental zone to then go represent norseka at world championships what an absolute mind melt mm -hmm. of a mm -hmm. of a it's system. almost like a canada west playoff format it's why do we do this to ourselves by the way as a sport like what what kind of a complicated nonsense anyways so it, the reason that women didn't have it is because we already have a team in the world not true so you can have up to four teams from one country at world championships so we're going to play for it but we're going to play for it uh, this upcoming week and the reason for that is because megan and nicole were at the elite 16 so we couldn't host it when one of our best teams wasn't available and the reason they I weren't see. available wasn't because of an anniversary a graduation a wedding they were playing volleyball so you have to move it to another week 
but for the well, guys, respect to whoever made that call because absolutely they getting they're getting they're getting wins out there, and you're not going to include them in the tournament just because of a scheduling exactly. conflict. And you might say, well, why weren't the guys the same week? Well, it's because uh, we have teams going to Australia to play in a future. So again, we didn't want to cannibalize and say, no, don't go play volleyball on the World Tour. Play it at Downsview at this tournament. So that's why the events were staggered based on competition planning. Player of the week, common sense scheduling right there. I mean, common sense scheduling, player of the week, absolutely. So we had some battles, and I got a chance to watch it. Thank you for sharing the link. I don't know if it was advertised, if it was something that was publicized, but I got a chance to actually watch some of the games, Josh, which I haven't watched a lot of volleyball lately, but we definitely had some interesting results there. I mean, Dan Deering and Sam Schachter won for Canada. So they get a chance to go to Norseka to earn the chance to go to Worlds, which we expect them to win. We don't know what's going to happen, but we expect them to win. So that's a great chance for them. Beating Jake McNeil and Alex Russell in the final, who beat Ben Saxton and Grant O'Gorman in the semi, which was a bit of an upset. Kind of a crazy match there, Josh. I saw you sitting sideline the entire time. Yeah, I, I wheezed my way in, Garrett, under the uh, disguise of scorekeeping, but I just wanted to be as close as close to the court as possible. Uh, for anyone it. rolling their eyes saying, what, there was a live stream? Why wasn't I allowed to watch? Because I just figured out how to stream something on YouTube the morning of, and it was a friends and family link. And why was it that? Because it was crashing about every five minutes, Garrett. So that's why we didn't want to post it and have 2,000 people messaging me like, what's the score? The stream's not working. We had maybe at max, like, 10 people watching at once and it was still crashing. So I'm sorry if you didn't get to watch it, but that's my rationale. It was, a, it was a test run at best. I didn't want to chirp you for the crashing, but you've now given a valid explanation and I think we're all okay with it, but maybe our listeners are not because they were super keen to watch or maybe they weren't like, I don't know what's worse. <laughs> they wanted to watch, but they couldn't or they didn't care. Either way, I got a chance to watch and I was, yeah, like the, the game indoors is a lot different. Like I, I I don't like to make excuses like that, but it definitely is. The float serve indoors, like you can get up and just smack an aggressive float serve. And Alex Russell was doing that. And I was impressed with that guy, a guy we haven't really talked a lot about. We had him on the show, but hasn't really been talked a lot about, hasn't have a lot of results. Going out there and just aggressively serving against Ben and Grant, an established team. And I felt bad for them. I was like, man, if this were outside, this would be a lot different. Fair point. Yeah, really fair point. So the, the reason we had to do it now also just for more details just in case somebody wants to send me some hate mail. Uh, the Norseka is... <laughs> I'm writing it already. The, the Norseka is mid-April and we had to have the team submitted by a certain date. So that's why we had to do it indoors at Downsview because I, I don't know where in Canada we could be playing it. And don't say Vancouver, Garrett, because it was eight degrees and raining probably if we were to do it. Vancouver. Yeah, we, it would be, Vancouver. be eight degrees and raining and cold out there right now. Vancouver. But, it's, a, it's, a, it's a toasty 14 degrees. And uh, people are not playing beach, though. It's there. I, I see no nets out there. So. so you have to be a top 500 ranked player to go to world championships this year. So our, our tournament was only four teams, which is a, is a great number to run a tournament. Garrett, what an arbitrary number, by the way, though. Oh, yeah. Top yeah. 500 player. <laughs> which is about 110 points if you're listening at home. So it's not nothing, but it's not. But, but like top 750, top 1,000. Why stop there? You've got to be a top a million player in the world. <laughs> To get like, <laughs> yeah, what, what is the border meaning about that where the promoter says to the FIB, we only want the best players in the world championships this year? Why don't we cap it? And the FIB goes, okay, only top 500. Top 500 teams. <laughs> top 500 players. Players. Not, not team. That, okay, so top, top 250 teams. You only have you have elite sixteen with sixteen teams. You're two hundred and fifty. You got to be in to make it to the worlds. What a weird. Anyway, so are, are we talking about that rule? I think it's a weird rule. But it's a weird rule. Anyway, it opens up the door. It sounds like. 
I think it's just a way of policing saying that if you want to go to world championships, you just can't hide behind your continental and play that and be like a smaller country that you need to be playing either your continental right. zone. You need to be playing on in futures. You got to be earning points. You can't just wait for this one event every four years, two years, right. whatever years. Right. Okay. So I have a few gripes that I've got to air with you, Josh, before we move on yeah, to take it from the top players here, of the here. week yeah, and clowns of the week. I got a few gripes. I got to air with you. Um, what the hell was with the girls practicing at the same time we're playing these highly competitive, important matches, and you guys are squished against the wall. You don't get the middle court. There's three courts at Downsview. You play on the right court so the girls can practice on the far left court. What is going on over there? First of all, did you see that was the flattest that court's ever been? I raked it Monday after work. I raked it Tuesday after work in preparation to get it ready for Wednesday, which I came in early and raked again. So that, that court was pristine right there. Uh, you tell Brandy she can't train. Like, how's that a fair conversation to say, stop everything. The men are having the trials, the women's program. You're not allowed to practice. Like, I think that was the only compromise was to move us to the third court. Well, I mean... Hey, we just praised your common sense scheduling with the women's team, which we'll praise again. But I, I, I was like, no, what are you talking about? We're having a full-on competition. It's competition day. We have a competition. Sorry. Like, go train outdoors. Like, do, do a weight room. Like, you were not training It's one day. Toronto, like, no. it's two days. Whatever it is. Like, we can deal. Like, we can figure it out. Like, oh, no, I can't train. Sorry. Maybe I'm being super, super insensitive here. But, like, I, I was like... Oh, here we are in the corner, like these guys, like the walls right there, like they don't have the space, they got to run out, like, not that they needed it much, actually. <laughs> no, no, it didn't happen that often, as it often as you would think. Much. More roofs than walls. Now, my other gripe was the raking, because you're right, the court was pristine, like it looked great. It looked level. It didn't look like a like a full cave, like a bowl. You weren't playing in the bowl. So I mean, kudos to the rake job there for you, Josh. But also, just the image. And I know we're not doing this for show, but the image of big win in the final. Yes, we're going to the Norseka to represent the worlds. Okay, get out the rakes, rake out the court, and the guys go and start raking the court immediately after. <laughs> Okay, okay. You've obviously never read the book about the New Zealand All Blacks, and somebody did a study on them, and why are they so great? And their theory, Garrett, is better people make better rugby players. So you know what they do? They don't even have a custodian in their team room. The players sweep the shed afterwards. They take care of their own environment. They are generally appreciative of the space. That's what we're trying to pass that on to our guys. And here you are thinking, yes, we're going to Norseka, then we're going to World. It's going to be awesome. But yeah, you have to rake just like everybody else. No, I, I get it. I get it. Share the load. You know, like, you know, I, I'm not trying to be a dick here, but at the same time, just the image, like the visual of it, competitive match, like huge, like you're fighting against your countrymen, like it's tough. And then game's over, tension releases, then everybody's out on the court <laughs> raking it down. <laughs> like it just, it just looks hilarious. Well, I think like the cameras cut hilarious. too short after Mel and Sarah won world championships, but fun fact, they actually raked the center court. <laughs> 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 yeah, in Germany, world championships. Hey, okay, no, get out the rakes. We got to help rake it down. Well, like, this is their encouragement. Everyone, if everyone does a little, no one has to do a lot, Garrett. And they all helped clean up, and it was it was well appreciated by the staff there. All right. Well, shout out to Dimitri. Great refing job. Um, no bad calls that I could see. Really well done. No really any calls that I could see. So, I mean, the less you're there, the better. Uh, excellent mask game, except at the end. Like, what, like, like, 
what we're doing masks here while we're up on the stand, but then when we come down, we're actually talking to people, masks off. Like, what, what are we doing here? I thought it was weird that, yeah, he did a great job, but I don't know what the ref rule is, but you wear your mask the whole time, but then if somebody has a question, they come to the stand, you you can't communicate, so we had to take the mask off. And I thought that was the point of the mask was the closed contact. And the, the only time you need it yeah. is the time you take it like, off. I would almost prefer he didn't wear a mask and then put it on when people got close, but I don't know what his, his the, the ref community has made the rule, but I thought that was a little odd. Well, I mean, props to them for coming out because that is a weird situation to come into as a ref. Like, nobody's there, nobody's watching, but you need to keep it official. Like, and every opportunity to, to not. ref on a Thursday at Downsview. Yeah, like, and, and you got Josh Nichols sitting there, like, acting all weird, keeping score. You never know if he's going to miss a point or something. Like, can't you got to keep an eye on that as well. Did you screw up at all? I was really good with the serving order, Garrett, because I know this is something that really grinds your gears when you used to announce at the OVA Grand Slam that there's nothing more important than who the next server is. There's only four people <laughs> out there. But the amount of times after a rally, somebody would be like, over, uh, who's serving? Like, I was, I was on it. I was on it. Well, I, I did notice that as well. And, I mean, equal parts good for you and equal parts but it also doesn't really matter that much. I've been on record saying that. So, I mean, way to take ownership of something, though, and deliver. So, I mean, we do respect that on this show, Josh. Props. Okay, let's segue not so gracefully because we're getting to the end. We've talked about it. We were, see, this is what I said at the beginning of the show. We had a lot to talk about. We've been energized this episode, Josh. We've just been going, unearthing topics. Like, we should do this more often where I just say controversial things and get people to argue with me. Yeah, I let's took take the note for, early this time future episodes yeah like just say something i'll just make, say something stupid early just to like set the tone that like okay it's going to be controversial so anyways let's get to our favorite and everybody's favorite segment which we've saved till much later than i expected this episode the players of the week and clowns of the week so josh i hope you're prepared we're not throwing this on a guest anytime so this is like we've had some foresight to look at this so hopefully we can really nail this in and and do some good Players of the week, call out some people who deserve it, and then also call out some people who deserve it as clowns. So are you ready to go? Sure. Who do you want to start with? Let's go player of the week for you, buddy. Uh, I'm going to go from Poland. Loziak, or if you're truly Polish, I think it's more of a W sign at the start. Woziak. So Garrett, when he picked up a new partner, him and Cantor, you've played against them. They used to run like a pretty fast offense. They wanted a two ball. They want to set it like pretty fast and spread the court a little bit. And then he picks up this Brill guy who is... Maybe the nicest guy, Garrett. I don't know. I've never talked to him. But he's a gronk. He's a big dude. He moves pretty slow. He just wants to hang and bang. And everybody's like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen to their style. I wonder what they're going to do. All of a sudden, Brill's hitting two balls. He's hitting back sets. Uh, Loziak's doing the same old same. Like, they're playing at a super high level. So they they did really well. They won the first challenger. They finished fourth, losing to Norway at the Elite 16. Like, that is an up-and-coming team where everybody was kind of like, oh, clashing styles. What are they going to do? You know what they're going to do? They're going to do what Loziak wants to do because he's the best player in the world right now now yeah and i mean well deserved i'm bitter you called him out because that's a guy i never had the chance to beat and played a few different times um over the years in practice at the junior and youth worlds and never beat him um and i mean he is a great player and and definitely deservedly so so glad to see that he's getting success and with a new partner i mean it is always interesting when new partners come together and you got like different styles what's that team going to do together you know, and to see that. So we'll have to see that with some of Canada's new partnerships as well. But it sounds like uh, Brill and Loziak keeping it rolling with the back sets, quick sets, stuff like that, which I, I hated as a player because I thought it ruined the game. But as a fan, bring it. I want it all. Give it to me all. Like, it's exciting stuff to watch. Good player of the week, Josh. Like, topical, relevant. Hopefully our listeners know who that is. If they don't, I mean, abuse Josh in the comments below. Um, okay, so my player of the week is, for this week is... 
all of the Can West teams competing in the U Sports National Volleyball Championships. Every single Can West team, and really by extension, the entire Can West division. Um, they sent six teams. Sorry, they sent eight teams to the both men's and women's um, U Sport National. So four to each, I think it was. Maybe it was five for the men, three for the women, something like that. Um, and they go four and zero oh in quarterfinals against other opponents and two and two against themselves. I mean, it's hard to go undefeated against when you're playing against teams from your own division, but they go a perfect four and zero oh against out of division opponents in the quarterfinals, meaning it's like basically a can West show out there in the semifinals and in the finals. So, I mean, congrats to them reestablishing their dominance on the Canadian volleyball scene by shutting out everybody of really the semifinal. So, I mean, congrats to the Can West for asserting their dominance again. And I'm a homer now, Josh. I'm out here. So now this is my it's my division out here. Take it. Take it. So, Ride I mean, we are the... I'm going to say we. Is it too early for me to say we as Can West? Probably. But I'm going to say it anyways. We are the best division in Canada. And they asserted it again. I just hope so, they yeah, accept you and not just see you as an OUA guy. That's what I hope. Well, we'll see how nice I am to them. Maybe if I keep giving them praise, they're going to accept me as one of them. Or maybe if I join a team or something. I've actually never helped coach or played with any team from the West. So maybe I need to earn my stripes before I start saying we. Yeah, no, they'll accept you. I mean, everybody at West is very nice. So they'll for sure accept you. They love the show. I hope they love the show. Hit subscribe if you love the show. Um, so that's the players of the week. I'm, I know it's only two this week, but I mean, I tried to include as many people in mine as possible because um, the U Sports is going on right now. So let's move on to Clowns of the Week. Josh, are you ready to go with Clown of the Week? I feel like ours are going to be similar this week. Just I have a feeling. No, we're, they have we're been not going to be similar at weeks. all. We're not going to be similar at Sorry, all. Sorry, I need to call out. So we had a guest, Tim, I think, comment last week agreeing with you on your clown of the week when our clowns of the week were in complete opposition to each other. You, you said shame on the volleyball community for not paying for the, you, the volleyball TV world or whatever. And I was saying shame on volleyball world TV for making us pay. And we had a fan comment and agree with you. So I guess I'm in the wrong there. Amazing. Tim, thank you so much. All right, so are we going to do it again? Are we going to repeat with no, conflicting clowns? No, of the mine's week? a weird one that, that came up. I was actually watching a seniors game, and, and I, I was thinking back because I had helped this athlete email coaches and, and go through the recruiting process. And Garrett, there were schools who told this young athlete that no, we we have a libero in your year, or there's somebody ahead of you, or you have this. So this libero is about to finish their their OUA career. They've been to national three times. They've been an all star. They've got three OUA gold medals. They've had a heck of a career, Garrett. And there's teams who are still just drowning. In mediocrity they haven't made the playoffs they haven't been to nationals but they told her oh no we've got a player we've got a player so i'm just blaming the general recruiting philosophy of the oua where if they think oh if we have garrett may at left side we don't need to recruit a better left side behind him because why would we need two good left sides and i think it's on display right now in the province garrett where u of t uh, zane friend of the show didn't play at nationals so they had to start a rookie the first match he's basically starting for the team so why do oua coaches insist on not hoarding as much talent where if somebody emails you and says i would like to go to your school 
school and they say, no, we're covered. We have one of those already. Well, what happens when you lose your one Garrett? You're trash. You're absolute trash. And I don't know why the goal isn't to get the best 20 players in the gym and run the best practices. You think Benjo got an email from Matthias Elser and said, hey, I'd like to come to your school. And he went, no, we have Derek Epp and Derek Epp's going to be the player of the year. Well, guess what? I'm calling it right now. Matthias Elser will be the player of the year next year because that's what good schools do, Garrett. They hoard talent and they make their practice environments. And I just, I, I'm accusing these coaches right now, Garrett. I think they'd rather avoid the challenging conversations of playing time or having to make tough choices versus just saying, no, we've got we've got a setter for the next four years. We've got a libero for the next four years. Those are my clowns of the week by under-recruiting and therefore, get this, Garrett, underperforming. Unbelievable. <laughs> I, I, I love it. And I'm always down to hate on coaches. I love it. I'm a coach. I love to hype coaches. I love to hate coaches. So the OUA on the recruitment strategy, I think it's maybe improved over the last, hard to really say that, but yeah, I agree. And I mean, not to name names, but it sounds like if there's a player who's won multiple OUA gold medals and is trying to transfer maybe for their last year, like they're, they're transferring to a different program or something like that. And you're saying no, like if you're just saying no ever to a good player. No, we're good here. You, we're good here. You're an idiot. <laughs> so I'll go on record and say that. Like you saying no to good players. What are you doing? And obviously Maybe I, trying I'm to avoid biased. that tough conversation. I, I'm a family friend with these people, but it's, it's fun to look back at their career and be like, wow, look at all the gold medals you have. And during that same time span, these coaches who told you, no, cupboard's full. We're good. Irrelevant. Irrelevant, Garrett. I'm telling you. Yeah. Well, I, I can feel the disdain in your voice and I love it. I, I love it when it's not directed at me. So, and I'm also laughing, Josh, because it sounds like your clown of the week is the entire OUA coaches. Probably the bottom half who under recruit because they think, yeah. oh no, we've got one already, Garrett. Why would we need two? Okay. So my clown of the week this week is also the OUA. <laughs> okay, so I mean, one week we're counter, the other, next week we're totally in sync for a totally different reason though, Josh. So my... <laughs> And I'll put it on the coaches, too, just so we're even more in line, maybe. But uh, my clown of the week, yeah, the OUA, because get this, Josh. You sport nationals, we send five teams but on both genders. I say we. I should, I should stop saying we. I should say they because I don't live there anymore. The OUA sends five teams, three for the men, two for the women. So you got five quarterfinals to put a team into the semifinal. Semifinal of the medal matches. Like, you got a good chance to get a medal and get another berth for your team for the next year. Ontario sends five. They go 0 for 5. 0 for in quarterfinal games at the U Sport National Championships. 0 for 5, Josh. They have five chances. These are these are division winners, champions losing. You got the teams who are getting in because we've had they've had success in previous years losing. And then a bonus team in there losing in the first round mostly to can west teams but not in every case so it's not just we got dominated by the can west we couldn't beat mcgill for example on the women's side or uh sherbrooke for example on the men's side so i mean just an absolute tough tough outing for the oua this year and that means josh that if they don't host nationals next year ontario gets only one berth for that Ooh, that, that tournament that hurts now there'll that be no medal winners they get the one berth so what an absolute devastating blow to the development of OUA volleyball. Terrible recruiting and not the results to back it up to keep things going at the national level 
there. Yeah, I mean, I feel really like the tough. Men might still get two now that the RCQ and AUS have combined. Like the AUS doesn't technically exist on paper anymore. So I wonder if that automatically gives the OUA two, or if there's like a weird wild card for that extra spot. We'll have to see what they decide, I guess, because. Like, if you give it to each of the divisions, then give it to the medal. It does open up one spot, but they always also had one for the host. So, does Ontario just get two because they're big? Like, why isn't it just four Canada West teams every year at this point? They've proven they can all medal. So. <laughs> well, I mean, and it should be when they do medal. But the weird thing to me is, like, if there's a good year in, in a crop and a division, it's always based on the year before. Yeah. So, it's not necessarily like. If Ontario, say, is a great year next year, too bad. You're only sending one team. Like, oh, it just hurts me as a former OUA but player. But now a can West guy. And I, I do have to bring up, Garrett, we had uh, eight players from our summer next-gen beach team who played university volleyball this year. Fun fact, they all made nationals, four of which who were on the wagon of the week, Sherbrooke, who finished third at nationals this year. Woo! And were the other four on the 0 and 5 two on, OUA two on representation? Two on U of T, so that one hurts a little bit. But, I mean, you take away Jasper, friend of the show, the starting middle, Zane, friend of the show, the starting setter, and their libero got injured during the quarterfinal match. Like, you lose your lib, middle, and setter. That's that's tough to come back from. Anyways, uh, one is on Alberta and one is on Calgary. So, I mean, confirmation bias, but summer tryouts, May 13th to 15th in Toronto. Be there, Garrett. I will not. Um <laughs> It sounds like you, this whole episode, have tried to justify Canada's results and throw down and say how great your next-gen players indoor are doing and trying to celebrate here. You're, you're feeling like it's been a good week for you. Well, I do have one honorable mention, Clown of the Week, Garrett, and I'd be remiss if I didn't say this because Heather Bansley thought I was Clown of the Week. So Volleyball Canada, we do an auction every year, Garrett, and I'm so happy to participate in they can They can bid and they can get two hours of court time and coaching from me. But up until... From you? Yes, yes. And people... They, so what did that go for? Uh, about $270. What? Yes. Somebody's paying 270 bucks for two hours with you? Well, we'll get this, Garrett, get this. So for that was that was the last day, and who knows, maybe the last hour it reached to that point. But for most of the week, I was losing to just a two-hour court booking. That's right. Me coaching added no value to the court booking, where people would rather have two hours of court time uninterrupted, no coaching, no nothing, instead of me there with the same two hours of court time. So Heather told me I should re rewrite the bio thing saying what you get so instead of it being coached by josh nickel next gen head coach it'd be like somebody to shag balls somebody to rake somebody to fill up your water bottle like that's where the money is because i was almost clown of the week garrett i almost lost to a, an empty court booking i mean i get it though i mean i absolutely get it because unless you're a competitive player right like unless you're an athlete playing why do you want to coach there Probably a youth athlete, even. The, I think it's even more divided, yeah. They just want the yeah, court. Like, they just want to play. Yeah, like, if I'm an adult, I don't need a coach there. I want the court to go play. Screw off, coach. Like, <laughs> But now, if I was smart, I would have bid on having the coach there and been like, listen, don't do anything. We're just here for the court time. It was cheaper. <laughs> Can you just go uh, pick up those balls and fill up my water bottle? Thanks. We're, we're just going to be playing here. Harsh. So... You, you uh, honorable mention yourself. Well, I was almost caught of the week, but Garrett at the 11th hour, I beat out that court booking and I, I by made, how much? Oh, I'd have to look it up I, at least $20. I think $20 is the minimum bid. But. So, so you edged out slightly empty, an empty court. It was more than 20, but less than a hundred, but edged out. And Heather was again, just now that she's not a player, I'm no longer intimidated by her presence in the building now she's yucking it up she can be quite funny but quite harsh where she basically told me i should be a butler and therefore i would get more money for the auction i fully agree with her. <laughs> <laughs> who 
Okay, so Josh, now as we're reaching the end of the show, if you're still hanging on, thank you so much for listening. Now is where I've aired a few gripes this episode, Josh. You're my sounding board, really, and you try to justify things, but we should maybe not do that. But maybe these I need some help with. So there were some frustrating things that I saw because I watched a lot of the U Sports this past weekend, um, and. We usually record a lot longer before we push this out, so we'll see when this episode comes out. But I got a chance to watch some of those games, and I was very disappointed in a few things. And you'll have to explain to me what the heck's going on, because I've been out of the game for a while. Our six-back defense, for specifically the women and the men, do it a lot. We have everybody playing like up, like two meters in from the back line, playing up in six-back. Why the hell do we do that? For our volleyball technicians out there, comment down below, let me know. But like, it just seemed to me that so many times we're seeing balls goes off the top of the hands and land in the court behind the player playing in six because they're way too far up. Or we're not digging the deep cross hit, which is like the bread and butter of really any left side player. So I'm, I'm just very confused of what, what the hell these coaches are doing with their defense. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because back when I was taking my coaching certification, my level two with Dustin Reed, he showed video of, uh, remember Alex Casillas? He played for Alberta, like really energetic athletic player. There was clips of him there. He would start his six back out of bounds. Like if he read the block was going to be closed, like he was playing basically center field and he would make these spectacular digs because people were going high off the hands where now it's the direct opposite and they, they call it middle, middle defense Garrett. And I think who deserves credit for it is Carl McGowan from the United States so he used to coach at BYU and obviously a godfather with a lot of stuff and basically he did a shot chart and a heat map and he determined that most of the balls go to the middle of the court so in his mind if the balls are going to go there why don't we put our defenders there so that's why they started to like cheat up and they think that you're going to get more balls if you're standing like two or three meters within the back line and if they happen to pin one to the back corner you kind of just give the Alex O'Neill thumbs up say good shot and you line up again but they're trying to like crash and make it really hard to score to the middle easy part of the court i hate that so much when i hear it like people looking at numbers trying to engineer the game because when i think about the balls that go into the middle of the court it they're pounding it like it's a a seam there's a seam in the block and it's being pounded into the middle so i'm gonna move a defender there to try to dig that to dig the hardest hits the biggest bounces we ever see well i think that's where they go most of the time the theory is the sets are getting flatter and faster outside so is it fair for your middle to you know have the stress of closing all these blocks or do they just take up space and you leave a seam and you fill it in with a, a middle back defender but to me like how many times are you going to dig that i'd like, have to see that's a numbers. hard dig to make yeah like, yeah get up there because you're doing nothing by getting stuff high off the hands <laughs> like <laughs> I also disagree that the offense is getting faster and faster now when you look at the stats and overwhelmingly the amount of sets that are going to the left side is like three, four, five times to one to the middle. But we'll get to that in a second here. But to me, I'd almost prefer, and I hate this too, but I would almost prefer having the six back slide all the way line side and have your right side blocker like press into the take the middle and then try to make a line dig as opposed to crashing the middle. That's A, how you get hit in the head. Like, if you move up, you're getting hit in the head if somebody hits it deep. Like, I hate I hate getting hit in the head. I never wanted to do that. And two, you're missing high off the hands. You're missing deep corner. You're missing deep, like, tips and stuff like that going that way off the top of the block. Like, I, I, I don't, I don't get, I, maybe on the international stage, 
where you look at maybe like a quick middle attack, maybe I can make a dig. But in U Sport, where we're not real, like I don't, I don't get it, Josh. You you told me where it comes from, but I still don't get the justification. I'd have to see the numbers compared to do they get more digs off the hits through the seam than you would be getting these high of hands? Because you're right, there's a lot of uncontested shots that if it if it flew out the back off the blocker's hands, nobody was getting those balls, right? Well, not I mean I'm not saying go out of the court like that other guy because like there you do there are balls that go into the court, but I'm saying be in the court, be deep, get the deep corner hits, get the deep hits, and then also be ready for the stuff off the hands and leave the tips and stuff to the front row players is just what makes so much sense to me. And so I was just frustrated to see how many, because I was noticing how many times, oh, that's a missed dig, missed dig, missed dig there. Oh, it's going deep. They're not ready for it. They're like hand digging out of six. I just thought that's super crazy. Did you see a lot of outside hitters hitting cross court corners though? Yes. Okay. I just I don't feel like that's the common shot anymore where I think that's still like a, a great zone on the court to hit. I just didn't see too many outsides really like hitting it to the deep opposite corner. Yeah, like to me, the best left side women particularly um, that I watched play have that deep corner. The, the amount of shots, Josh, that I saw go deep into six around the block cross, like the block is so heavy line that they have the entire court cross and it just goes into six. The player's too high up and so they can't dig it, explodes off them or lands in was like a high number and I was getting frustrated, Josh. You've calmed me down a little bit telling me where I come from, but it's still, you haven't offered an opinion on it. It's tough to say if I was coaching indoor, where would I put my six-pack defender? I could tell is you, it tough to say? I could tell you I'd be training my outsides to hit the deep part of the court because I, I didn't see too many people pinning the balls to the back corners where I think where it crosses the defender and where it's landing, that's a really hard ball to dig, to be honest. But I agree. So that gets me to my next point that was super frustrating, which was the, the absolute boringness of our, I'll call it mid-tier level of play. Like if you think pro and national team is top tier and club and youth is lower tier mid tier being like young adults playing, you know, university or whatever, if there's a club system or whatever, um, how boring our mid tier of volleyball is. How every team does the, basically the exact same thing. Some teams shake it up and I really love to watch them, but most of the teams do the exact same thing. And the lack of combos that we run at the mid tier of the game is devastating to me as a fan i'm watching the same damn thing every time pass set outside hit off the block tip dig something it's not good enough we can't run a middle set outside off the hands block tip dig and just goes on and on from there and it's just whoever can execute the best wins rather than oh let's try to mix it up let's try to do something else here like do you also have that impression i think it's a bit of a copycat league so i think Trinity Western, the men do this really awesome. Like they run their overload. Like you don't see, well, you will see it, but I think their middles are at their best when they're hitting like a shoot, right? And they run the overload and it's wicked fast to the left side or it isolates the right side. I think other teams have tried to copy that, but like they're not as crisp. So the overload doesn't work as well, but they think they're running an overload, right? Where, yes, I would have liked to see more middles hitting back quicks. Like I think Billy Johnson from Alberta moves around and he attacks gaps really well. But yeah, I saw a lot of middles that only hit like a certain set where even even at club, I can remember coaching kids and you want your middles to be able to hit three or four different set variations where I didn't think I saw that very often. Um, 
yes, it is a left sider game. And, and the, the thing I hate, and we've griped about it on the show enough, is if your P2 is in the front, it seems like it's like illegal for them to make mistakes. So it's just like tip and roll and keep the ball in play where uh, I thought the most games I had the, the most fun watching were probably Sherbrooke men because one, I know a couple of the guys, but super scrambly. They're getting block cover. Everybody on the court can set. They're taking good swings against triple blocks. Like that kind of like wild, wild west style of volleyball I thought was really entertaining. But yeah, as far as like in-system play, uh, I, I saw, yeah, it was pretty cookie cutter and everybody looked very similar. Well, but so that's I think that's inherently exciting. It's like when people are scrambling and making digs and in the men's game, if you have long rallies and guys are making digs and guys are going for it on the swings, I think that makes the game somewhat dramatic. Cause it's like, oh, will they keep it alive? Will they, you know, make a play? But when you know where it's going every time, like, you know, the amount of just high balls outside or like lame sea balls that we get to me is just like such a high volume. Like we never, we really never mix it up. Why do we never run the step around with guys when you have two swings in the front row? Why do we never do that? But the women do it. I didn't see many women doing it in the when the games I watch as well. Right. Like we're not doing that a ton. Why do the women really never run shoots reliably? Why do we run so many fifty ones? Like especially when our right side's in the front row, shouldn't we mostly be running shoots by default? If the pass is off the net, how often are we running middle? So few times. Like I just kind of disappointed in the in the in the entertainment value of our mid tier of volleyball because. It seems like we never we the amount of unique plays we do in a game and I'll call it unique like a back quick or a shoot or like a some sort of combo is like maybe five in a three, four, five set match, like just a such a low number. And I think to, to your point, yes, now that I think about it, yeah, the women used to be known as running like really fast step arounds and different variations. I didn't see a ton. Uh, I think the broadcast was great. I'm not a big fan of the camera behind the ref anymore. I like it on the back. And then you can see what the serve's doing. Why is it so difficult to pass? You can kind of see the offense. Like Jesse Elser went on a huge run against Sherbrooke and he was hitting aces that if you watch from the side camera, it's just like, oh, why isn't this guy passing it? But if you would have saw it from the back, the amount of hook or his ability to make the ball die like short, like his ability to manipulate the ball, you would have appreciated it much more if it was like a back camera. So I think that's just the way we present our game sometimes where he was being super skillful, but it just looked like the Sherbrooke guys forgot how to pass all of a sudden where they were being manipulated by Jesse just having a wicked arm and a wicked wrist. Yeah, I, I get that for sure. But I don't want to give any of these player these players, and I think it's the coaches, a pass on it. Because it's like, if you're in system, great. But... If you're in system and not siding out at a high clip, like if you're only siding out like 20% of the time, first first kill side outs, like on in system, like is that not that seems like super low to me. Like can we not mix it up when we're in system and get some an interesting and exciting things going on? I'll use an example, McGill with their middle ran meter balls in transition with their middle. Why the hell not? If they're only going to put a double block on it, run a meter ball, let her go and pound it. Absolutely. And it worked and they did well and they beat UFT women in the quarterfinal with with that play. Like, um, I mean, it's just it makes so much sense, but we never really see teams do that. And it's weird when we see stuff like that. I just uh, I wish it was better for our sport. Oh, run a meter ball in the middle, Garrett. Oh, that's so amateur. That's so 14 you. Well, like what? Yeah, I'm down for that. Like or run run a run a step pipe combo. Like have the middle go step and have the right side come and hit a pipe. It's not that complicated. It's two things we do anyways. But 
just do it because like if you get the middle going then you come in the, like it just works like it's just it's fun it's exciting i don't know uh, if you follow uh any of the trinity western guys on social media or their own account but uh when they have their camera person collecting video from the sideline and you see how fast their pipe is that's just so beautiful to see like Brody hofer coming over the top of the middle and how I think that showcases how hard of a decision it is for the blockers because it's like so quick and on their shoulder where again just another way to like display our sport and show how difficult it would be other than like oh Trinity ran a pipe and they scored again yeah no I I agree and I mean if you can run the pipe effectively and I think honestly for them if they ran that pipe even a meter slower it would still be as effective like could be (laughs) you know what I mean it's it's overkill at some point when you got a good hitter with one or even two blocks on a pipe you can just score most of the time like um and I just get so sick of all this left side play as a former left side myself who did the exact same thing every single time it is fascinating to go to the box score and you're watching the game and you're like oh that was like a pretty good set but then you watch and like Brody Hofer gets 40 attempts at the end of the game and like the middle got 12 and it's like oh like I I thought that was well balanced but no it wasn't even close (laughs) yeah and and now I'm noticing that now that I'm paying attention like it something clicks and I'm like set middle and they never do it's like oh my god like we need to we need to change something about our sport Josh and it starts with us not because if you're still listening thank you so much we've gone we josh and i could talk forever this is nice josh this was a, should, should we do this more like should we i mean just you and i comment down below if you like the josh and garrett only episodes if you're still listening um or if you hate them please also let us know because we'll fill this with other people so you don't so you don't like us that much that's okay well <laughs> that'll do it josh what did how what did you think <laughs> Should I ask you what you thought? Thought it was good. <laughs> uh, I, for the listeners at home, we changed our recording day just to, to get this one in. And when you mentioned at the start, you were prepared and you had all these topics and you did your research. I didn't know which week was the start and end for player and clown of the week. Like I was a little frazzled. I think you you righted the ship. You carried it. Your energy. You, you poked the bear. You, I think you picked a fight with me automatically so I could get into this one. I, I thought it was overall a really good show considering 50 episodes, no guest. We don't need a guest. Uh, and I love the big self pat on the back to finish, Josh. Absolutely. I mean, you've been doing it all episode, and I'm happy to embrace with you at the end. And what a great episode by us, Josh. Yes. I do have, I do have yes. one shout out, Gary. We just recently ran a March break camp, and one of the athletes, uh, it, it was a younger camp. I think she was 14 or 15. She says, my brother loves your podcast. And I go, oh, oh he must be the one who's listening. And she laughed because she gets that joke. So shout out to the Mercer family for listening to the podcast. Who knew, Gary? We have listeners who now are connecting in person. It's just such a joy to be told that somebody likes the show to your face. It was just, I'm still walking tall from that compliment, Garrett. That makes me feel so much better after the end of all this. 50 episodes in. So thank you so much. It's for the kids. And thank it's you. For the kids. Thank you, Josh, for just keeping it real. I mean, I was trying to have a little bit of a celebration at the end here, like cheer it up. But then I realized that we'd probably have to go and rake something afterwards. So I'm just I'm just not into that. So let, let's not go there. I'm not trying to rake. Um, so <laughs> great episode. Thank you so much for joining us. That'll do it for this one. And we will see you next time.